When we go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we're going to get into it. Um, there's obviously a lot to cover, and there's no way we're going to cover absolutely everything. There are some things we're just going to have to skip over, some chapters we're going to have to skip over. But we have everything planned for the next, um, for the next six weeks. So we highly encourage that you bring your Bibles, that you bring your notebooks. We're going to go through a very consistent uh, scheduling on, on Wednesday and also on Sunday. So we, we know you don't want to miss anything. <clears throat> and so we would love for you to, to go ahead and, and uh, bring your journals, bring your pens, bring whatever you got to bring uh, so you can follow along with us. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I'm going to be reading through the New Revised Standard Version. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Amen. Why don't we go ahead and pray right now, ask God that he would give us revelation and, that I, and pray that I could be a vessel, that I can be used, that someone here can walk away with something they didn't have before they came. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for this opportunity to speak, this opportunity to preach your word, the truth. I thank you. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that we would come with a very sincere and a humble heart, a humble mind right now, that we'd bring ourselves low before you with open hands, ready to receive anything you're ready to give us. We pray for a spirit of revelation today that even if things are not said with my mouth, they're said with your spirit. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Not too long ago, my wife and I, uh, she was buying a few cookbooks. And I remember one time I started going through the cookbooks and I started putting post-it notes on the things I wanted to cook. And she looked over to me and she said, what, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm putting little post-it notes and they would stick out the edge of the cookbook. And uh, putting little post-it notes on things that I, w I would like to cook. That, right? That's why we got four different cookbooks, right? She said, no, no, no. Those cookbooks are all for looks. Take your post-its out of them. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself but laugh. I couldn't help but laugh. And anyway, so still, she was graceful enough to uh, pick one. And so we ended up cooking. And she wanted to practice cooking things. I want to practice cooking things. So we started trying to make these fish tacos. And I remember I went to Vaughn's and they recommended to go to a more Asian uh, cultured grocery store. But I went to Vaughn's and I couldn't find any Asian culture grocery store. So I go to Vaughn's and I couldn't find all the right ingredients. And they said to get fish oil. I ended up getting, um, I don't know, some other kind of oil. And then they said to get sriracha sauce and there was no sriracha sauce at Vaughn's. So I got Sichuan sauce which you're supposed to actually cook that. And sriracha sauce, you don't have to cook that. So we, I came home and pretty much I had all the wrong ingredients. And we came and, and she was like, we kind of need different ingredients, but okay, let's try it anyway. So I said, all right, let's do it anyway. So we started making these special sauces. We started cooking the fish. We started getting the tortillas ready. We started getting the special homemade salsa ready, everything. 
And then we sat down and we started eating it. And I took my first bite. I'm like, mm, okay, that's that that's interesting. That's interesting. And she's like, yeah, it's good. It's good. Okay. And then uh, we took another bite, and I'm like, hmm, yeah, okay, that one's a little better. And I just kept going, and truthfully, it was not the best meal we've ever had. As a matter of fact, at the end of it, my stomach started hurting so much, and I realized I was getting a little sick, and I had to stop eating right away uh, toward the end of it. And uh, I, got, I got a little sick. My stomach was in pain. I could barely go to sleep that night. Anyways, I realized something. That if you're going to follow a recipe, you got to follow the recipe. Somebody say amen. I realized that I did not have the right ingredients that were required to get the outcome. And so I couldn't call up the cookbook store after that and be like, hey, what's going on with this cookbook? It told me to do this, this, that, that. Sir, did you do that all? No, I got a different sauce for this. I got a different thing for that. I got, a, I got olive oil instead of, you know, fish oil. I got this Sichuan sauce instead of sriracha sauce. You know, it sounded the same, so I got it anyways. But I can't sue them because of that, right? That's not their fault, right? That's my fault because I didn't have the right ingredients. And so the book of Acts, the first two chapters, which is what we're going to cover today, Acts 1 and 2, you're going to see that the Holy Ghost is the key ingredient that is given to the church for the purpose of being fruitful, for the purpose of expanding the mission. You're going to see there's a clear direction. There's a clear point and a focus that the Holy Spirit has been poured out so that the kingdom of God can be advanced. And why am I saying that today? Many of us have been filled with the Holy Ghost, a power like no other power, an authority like no other authority. And yet sometimes we tend to house it inside. But there are others that have tapped into the power and the authority of the Holy Ghost and are expanding the kingdom of God, are moving forward. How many are grateful that somebody stepped into your house, knocked on your door, and expanded the kingdom of God in your life today? Amen. So we're going to go through this. This is going to be somewhat like Bible school. And so I'm going to teach you some things. We're going to teach things that may not necessarily be exactly in the text, but you have to kind of know uh, the context around it. So Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Why don't you go ahead and go there? It's just a flip of the page. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. You can leave your Bibles open because we're going to keep returning to the Word and reading. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to go at a, at, at a somewhat faster pace. And of course, if it's too fast, you can always look at the recording. They post them on, on YouTube. So Excuse me if I, if I don't go, if I go a little too fast. So Acts chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning. Okay, so here's just a few background about the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written by Luke. Many, we, many scholars approve or agree on that fact. It was written by Luke. And so it's his second volume. And one of the things that gives that away is that he also mentions writing to Theophilus in the book of Luke. And so it was written by Luke. It was written around 70 to 90 AD. So we're talking around 30 years after Jesus ascended. That's very, very early. We don't have time to get into the importance of that. Um, but that's about the time it was written for those of you who like to know about that stuff. Um, we also know that Luke accompanied Paul throughout the book of Acts. You're going to see. This is somewhat of an introduction, but throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see that there is that Luke accompanies Paul throughout many of his missionary journeys. So you're going to see him write, and we did this and we did that. In other words, he was a first hand witness. 
So when people come to you and tell you the Bible's fake or the Bible's written by these random people 100 years ago or 500 years ago and they start saying all this stuff, you can easily pull out these scriptures and show, no, these were eyewitness accounts that we have today that have been written. How many are grateful for the witness of the word of God? Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the book of Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus 40 days after the crucifixion. I'm not sure if everyone knew that, but after Jesus resurrected, he was around for 40 days talking to the disciples, the resurrected Jesus, showing himself, teaching, talking, eating with them 40 days after he resurrected. And so we're going to see once again, and I'll say it again, that there is a highlight of the promise of the Spirit, right? It's very directed at the Spirit. You're going to see that the Holy Spirit was poured out. You're going to, and in the book of Acts, you're going to see the promise of the Spirit. You're going to see the Spirit being poured out. You're going to see the persecution of the church. You're going to see human nature in the church and how they have to deal with people who are still struggling with a little bit of racism, you're going to see uh, how the Gentiles, people like you and I, were brought into this new covenant. And you're going to see missionary work uh, of Paul among many others. Amen? So why don't we keep going? Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Okay, let's read it. Uh, and I'm just going to start at this part we stopped. It says, and Luke says, until the day when he was taken up to heaven. And then it says, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So there's a clear shift here. Before Jesus was speaking to them and they were hearing his voice directly out of his mouth. But now Jesus was commanding them and leading them through the Spirit. Everyone say through the Spirit. He says that in the book of Acts, Luke is telling us you're going to see people being led through the Spirit. Now my question to you is how many of you have been led of the Spirit today? How many of you live a life being led of the Spirit. When you wake up in the morning, do you ask the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to today? When you go out to eat, do you say, Holy Ghost, do you want me to pray for this person right here? Do you want me to pay for this person's food? Holy Ghost, what color tie do you want me to wear today? Well, when do you want me to go on vacation? Are you being led of the Spirit? And to what point are you being led of the Spirit? Turn your neighbor say, are you being led of the Spirit? The book of Romans teaches us that, that those that are led of the Spirit, the same are the sons of God. Those that are the offspring of God, they're being led of the Spirit. And so my question to you today is how many of you are being led of the Spirit? The relationship that you're in, were you being led of the Spirit or led of your flesh? Right. The people that you're hanging out with, are, are, is that because the Holy Ghost led you to hang out with them, to uh, take company with them, or because it pleases your flesh? Right, the things that you're watching, did you ask God, God, do you want me to really be watching this right now? Or is that because of your flesh? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, be led of the Spirit. So he says, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Let's keep going. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, I'm just going to put a little commercial right here. Many people say, or some people have said, that Jesus never existed. And then some people say he existed, but he was not crucified. And then some people say he existed and was crucified, but he did not resurrect. And some people say he existed and was crucified, but the people thought that he resurrected. Or they all saw the same delusion at the same time. 
And they saw this, this fake ghost or phantom, whatever the case is, but they convinced themselves. And so there's many arguments out there. I remember when I was in college, my college, I was in English, English class. And on the first day, he started talking about how the gospel is questionable, how Pilate probably didn't allow the crucifixion of Jesus or, or wasn't that passive, excuse me, and started saying all this stuff. And you're going to start seeing those arguments a lot. And so if you're actually curious about knowing more about how to prove that one, Jesus existed, two, he was crucified, and three, he resurrected, then I, I highly recommend um, researching that. There's this book called The Case for Christ, which is, they made a movie about it. I highly recommend reading the book. It's very good. Okay, so it says that Jesus presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, here we go, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you start seeing there's this new method of communication. And Jesus says, this is what we've been waiting for, people. This whole ministry, this whole earthly ministry. Before I walked into the ministry, what happened? John the Baptist began preaching. He, he was baptizing people, right? John the Baptizer, he was baptizing people into repentance, saying, no more. You, you Roman citizens, or you, excuse me, you Roman soldiers, don't take more than is allotted. And, and you people, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. I'm baptizing you into repentance. And then he was stopped. He says, I'm baptizing all of you with water, but there's going to come one greater than me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so everybody was looking forward to everybody was wondering, what is this fire he's talking about? What is this Holy Spirit that we're going to be baptized with? That was the focus that everybody was looking at. And Jesus is telling them after he ascends, he says, this is what you've been waiting for right here. This is the missing ingredient that you've been waiting for. Amen. How many are glad for the infilling of the Holy Ghost today? If you've been baptized with the power of the Spirit and with fire. And so as we continue forward with the story, please move along with me. Um, it, it says that, and as you, if you were to continue to read, you would see that the disciples then, they asked Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Remember, Jesus had been preaching about the kingdom for his entire earthly ministry. He'd been preaching about the kingdom of God. And so they're saying, okay, Lord, is it now time that you're going to restore the kingdom? And they were looking at it like it was an earthly kingdom. But Jesus was telling them, it is not yet time for the physical kingdom of God to be established. That's going to happen later in the millennium. And all of us are going to be a part of that. But that time is not yet. He was speaking about the spiritual kingdom at the time. And so we as a church... As the church, we're standing in this in-between place right now. We're standing almost in the threshold of a door. And the next part that we're going to walk into after the rapture, after the, the tribulation, is the millennium. And that is the time when Jesus Christ is going to reign here on this earth for 1,000 years. That's what the Bible says. And that we are going to be judges in that time. So... That's just something to, to understand, to research, to look forward to. Um, but let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is a lot of information, and I'm really trying to, to get it all, all in. And so here we go. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you see very clearly, he's giving you the purpose of the spirit and power. I'll read it again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You are going to receive power to witness. Now let me show you something. There are, are two witnesses that, that, are, that you can see throughout the word of God and you can see in your life. And I'll say it in this story. I was reading this uh, book not too long ago and the author brought this about. But uh, we all know the story of Doubting Thomas. And Thomas came to the people, to the disciples. And they had all seen Jesus and his resurrected body. And Thomas is like, no, there's no way. You guys have not seen him. And they said, yeah, Thomas, we saw him. And Thomas says, unless I put my fingers right in his hands and I put my, my hand in his side, I will not believe it. Right. So he heard the witness of the people. He heard their story, their testimony, their witness with their own eyes. And then the Bible says sometime later that Jesus came and showed himself personally to Thomas. And then Thomas believed. Amen. He said, my Lord and my God. Right. And so every one of us has those two witnesses. We have the witness of somebody else, the preacher behind the pulpit or, or the life group leader in your life group or the Timothy or, or whoever's discipling you or the person who, who, who witnessed to you and told you about Jesus. And they told you, hey, God did it for me. He can do it for you. That's that first witness. But then that's not enough. You can't stay there. The next place is when Jesus shows up in your house and says, go ahead. I'm right here. You can handle me however you want to handle me. And that is the place God is calling us to, to a deeper place in knowing him. Don't stop at the first witness. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't stop at the first witness. Don't stop at the first witness. Amen. And so he says, you have the power of the Holy Ghost to be a witness. God has given you that power to be a witness. And afterwards, we see that Jesus ascends up into heaven. And then we see that of the 12 disciples, if you keep reading in chapter 1 of the 12 disciples, you see that uh, because Judas had killed himself, he betrayed the Lord, the Bible says, and he kills himself. They took another disciple, another person to replace Judas named Matthias. And Matthias was chosen, and uh, we, we don't have time to get into that. They casted lots, etc., etc., and there was a very spiritual importance for having 12 witnesses, uh, but unfortunately, we don't have time. So as we keep going forward, chapter 1 ends, and we find ourselves in chapter 2. Amen. I know many of us have read this a thousand times, but if you would just uh, walk with me, journey with me, and I, I hope to, to leave you with something you didn't have before you came. In the early 1900s, there was a, a, a revival. I've mentioned it many times before, and many of you have heard it. It's called the Zeusa Street Revival. And it started in 1906 and finished in 1909. And what happened was, is these believers, they were Christians, and they started reading the Bible, and they started saying, what if we questioned every tradition? What if we actually questioned every tradition? And we saw what the Bible said. And so they said, let's forget all of these, whether they were inherited by Catholicism or Protestantism or whatever the case is. And let's look at what the Bible says. And as they started reading, they started realizing that an outward sign of speaking in another language accompanied people who were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they said, if it happened for them, then it should be happening for us. 
And so they got together and they started praying. And they started praying. And they started praying. And they were waiting for something to happen. They were expecting something to happen. Everybody say expecting. They were expecting something to happen. And as they were there praying, what happened? Boom, this woman was filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And in, the long, in a long time in these circles, people had not spoken in other tongues. All throughout history, you'll see that people were filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. But at the same time, in this time, those things had died down. And so they were expecting it. And so why am I telling you this? Let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them. And a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Why is that? I'll, t- I'll tell you why, why I gave you that example. Earlier, we understand Jesus was crucified on a feast called Passover. Everyone say Passover. 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 Jesus was crucified on the feast of Passover. And Passover is when they would kill the lamb, right? And so there's a very, very clear messianic symbolism there. And so that's when they killed the lamb. And three days later, on the third day, Jesus resurrects. Forty days after that, throughout that time, he's showing himself to them. He's talking with them. He's eating with them. He's walking with them, etc. And as he ascends, that leaves us with about seven days from the point when he tells them, go to Jerusalem and the point when they're filled with the Spirit of God. Now, the Bible says that they walked about a Sabbath day's journey, which Uh, For those of you, I I looked it up, and that's about half a mile. That's a little over half a mile. So they walk in one day, about a Sabbath day's journey. They get there, and they are waiting for seven days in an upper room, waiting for the Spirit to fall, expecting for something to happen. There was an expectation that they had. Somebody say expectation. And so they're waiting there. And so we see... That the Holy Ghost falls on the day of Pentecost. Now, why is that important? Are you ready? Everyone, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna teach you some stuff right now. We're gonna we're gonna go through some stuff here. Amen. Everyone, turn your neighbor and say, fasten your seatbelt. Okay, we're gonna get a little deep here. We're gonna get a little deep here. Okay. All right, here we go. I know some of you don't drive with your seatbelt. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. I have the angels covering me. Hallelujah. Okay. So here's what happened. In the old testament. On Passover, the first Passover, was when the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt. So the first Passover, they killed the lamb, put the blood on the, on the doorpost. That was the first Passover. They were brought out. Fifty days later, they were on Mount, Moses was on Mount Sinai. And Moses was there on Mount Sinai, a.k.a. the day of Pentecost, the first Pentecost. And he was there on the mountain. And what did God give him? He gave him the law. God gave him the law that divided between morality and immorality. That would lead and guide people and teach them how to please God. Now, if we fast forwarded 
excuse me, before we fast forward, rewind, uh, when we were there, Moses comes down. And when he comes down from the mountain, there's a golden calf and people are partying and people are, you know, doing a bunch of crazy stuff. And 3,000 people are killed. Okay, now let's fast forward to the day of Pentecost that we know in Acts chapter 2. What happens? The Bible says uh, on the day of Pentecost, they were where? In the upper room. And when they were there, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Can you see the symbolism there? 50 days after Passover, Jesus is crucified. 50 days after, they're there on the day of Pentecost. And what happens? Instead of God pouring out laws, 630, do not do this, do not do that, do not do that. What does he pour out? He pours out his spirit. Why? Because the spirit is going to lead you to all truth. Because the spirit is supposed to guide you. The spirit is supposed to communicate. Is somebody receiving revelation here today? The spirit is going to tell you, no, don't touch that. No, don't talk to them. No, don't go there. Go here. Walk down this place. The spirit is going to lead you. The same way the law led the children of Israel, but only led to death. The spirit is going to lead you to life. Is anybody grateful for that life today? I know I'm surely grateful. All right, are you ready? Are you okay? Here's the next one. Okay, if we were to rewind one more time and we were to go to Genesis chapter 11, you'll find a story of the Tower of Babel. Now, I remember this story growing up, and I was just thinking, okay, so that's why Chinese sounds like that, and that's why Spanish sounds like that, and that's why those are the only two languages I, I knew of when I was a younger person. I, I thought there were only three people in this world, um, anyway. So, and then I moved over here. And I remember the first time, the first time I had ever learned the difference between Korean and Japanese and Chinese. I remember I thought as a young child, it was all there, right? And then I realized that there were more than one Hispanic people as well. I said, there's more of us. Praise God. Right? Amen. And so what happened? The Tower of Babel is a story about when these people got together. It was after the flood. And so they were trying to escape judgment in case another flood came they were saying god i know i know it'll be like this if my father was told me james i want you to go upstairs and uh i'm gonna spank you right so go upstairs and wait for me and then he waits a little bit and i'm there just thinking i'm rocking back and forth on oh, my word it's gonna come it's coming i hear him you know drag i say i hear him drag the paddle across the floor it's like texas chainsaw massacre you know something's gonna happen right now and all of a sudden uh you know he comes in, and then all of a sudden, he, you know, right before he spanks me, he says, I say, you know what? I just want to let you know. I don't care. I'm still going to do it again. And you know what? I put tissues in my back pocket. So this ain't going to hurt me. I just want you to know. I don't care about your judgment. Right? Oh, you parents are getting angry just thinking about this right now. I see some of you getting red right now. Just want to spank your child just in case. Right? You know, so I'm, I, it would be as though I told them, I don't care what your judgment is. I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to find a way around your judgment. And so the children, these people, excuse me, got together and they said, we're building a tower. If you send a flood, whatever, we're just going to all run up, we're all going to run upstairs. You know, we're going to be fine. And the Bible says that God comes down to what? He confounds their languages. He gives them all. They wake up one day, and, and the guy's like, hey, pass me the hammer. And the other guy's like, yeah, huh? And the other guy's like, yeah? And it's just like, what's going on? I don't know if you've ever been on a job site where people speak different languages, but nothing really gets done. 
And so what happens? So, so that confounds their languages and it divides their little kingdom, their little group that they had together. It divides it because their languages differed. Now, do you see the parallelism in Acts chapter 2? What happens? In the Tower of Babel, the differing of languages divided. But in Acts chapter 2, the differing of languages expanded the kingdom of God. You see, there's these ways in the past that we see are the negative examples. And they show the judgment on mankind where we fail. And then you fast forward to the New Testament and you see where God comes in with his grace, with his mercy, and offers not the Holy Ghost out of because we deserve it, but the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So God has them speak in varying languages to expand the kingdom. They begin speaking in earthly languages. So the Bible teaches us, uh, the Bible teaches us that they go and they start speaking in earthly languages. So they begin speaking in other languages that they did not know before. And why did that, why did that happen? How do we understand what that, what that looked like? Well, I told you that Passover was 50 days before, right? And Pentecost was, is where we're at now. Well, the Jews were scattered throughout the world. They were scattered. There were Jews in, in all these different places. But the law told them that there were three feasts that they would have to come back to Jerusalem for. That was the Feast of Tabernacles. That was the Feast of Passover. And that was the Feast of Pentecost. So you had these Jews that spoke all these different languages because they lived in other places and learned these other languages. And they came back on a pilgrimage. They came back on a festival. My, I remember uh, I went to Mexico not too long ago and, and I learned for the first time that uh, the, the uh, city, Messias, where my wife's mother is from, every once a year, excuse me, they go back and have these rodeos in September. And everybody, all these people who have moved out of the city, they, whether they're in America, whether in the other parts of Mexico or other parts of the world, they'll all come back to that town and they'll all just, you know, play very loud banda music and just have these rodeos and ride on these horses and try to, you know, flip these cows around and stuff like that. It's just, they say it's awesome, right? And once a year, they'll always come back, right? So that's a normal, normal practice. The Bible teaches that the Jews had three of these times when they come back to Jerusalem. So many of them that were there at Pentecost had also been there for 50 days. Why? They were there when Jesus was crucified. Why? Because if they traveled that far from far reaches of the world, they would not go back on a 20-day journey to come back 20 days the next day and then to be there for, for Pentecost. So many of them would come for Passover and stay for those 50 days and then celebrate Pentecost and then leave. And so I don't know if anyone else is admiring God's timing here. I don't know if anybody else can see how amazing it is, how God set that up 1,500 years before when he's establishing these feasts with Pentecost, with the crucifixion, with the resurrection in mind. And I just am so amazed that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. My question to you is this, church, many of us, many of us struggle because we're not sure what's going to happen tomorrow, or we're not sure what's going to happen with our job, or we're not sure what's going to happen with our family, and we are afraid and we're anxious, and these feelings of stress come over us. But brother and sister, God, 
God had intended these things before the world had ever was ever founded, before the world was ever on its foundations. God was already having the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the deliverance of his people in mind. God had already intended these things. So if he had that in mind, what tells you that he doesn't have your tomorrow in mind? Amen. So his understanding or God's, excuse me, his his practice of perfect timing blows me away. I'm not afraid. I'm not scared. I'm not anxious. And anytime those fears come over me of I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't I have these desires. I have these dreams. I have these longings, but I don't know how they're going to happen. I, I move that fear out of the way. And I say, if God has planned, if his calendar is planned thousands of years before, I'm sure he has the next few days taken care of already. Is anybody glad? Has anyone experienced God taking care of you when you stepped out by faith? When you stepped out by faith and said, Lord, I'm going to make it happen because I trust you. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, uh, from, from Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to 37. What happens is, right, Peter is preaching, but he's preaching because after the Holy Ghost falls out and pours out on these people, they start speaking in these other languages. They come out of the upper room, and these people that are around that are there for Pentecost or come from other countries, they start hearing them talk in these languages. And they all know these different languages. Some of them are from this place, from that place, from this place, and they're hearing these people speak in these foreign languages. They say, all these people are from Galilee. How are they speaking all of these different languages? How are all of these 120 people speaking all these different languages? I understand what they're saying. How is that possible? What is happening? And and somebody mocks them and says, it's because they're all drunk. They're all drunk. And Peter then stands up and says, they're not drunk the way you think they're drunk. They're drunk, but they're not drunk the way you think they're drunk. He said, they're they're on on a new wine. Amen. They're, they, they are filled with the Spirit of God, and the Holy Ghost has taken over. Some of us need the Holy Ghost to take over in our lives, honestly. Some of us have too much control over our day. We have too much control over our schedule, too much control over our life group, over our marriage, over our family. Some of you just got to let go of the will and say, you know what, Lord, you go ahead and do it. Everywhere, every time I drive, I end up crashing into something. Lord, you go ahead and take over right now. How many want the Holy Ghost to take over in their life? We got to relinquish control and say, okay, God, I'm going to practice. Go ahead. You tell me what to pray for. You tell me how long to fast. You tell me where to go. Amen. We need to be led of the Spirit. Turn your neighbor and say, be led of the Spirit. Thank you so much. Thank you. Be led of the Spirit. So from 14 to 37, Peter begins preaching for the next 23 scriptures. He ties a lot of the revelation of Jesus Christ to prophecies in Psalm and in Joel. And he begins preaching. And uh, I'll, I'll just touch on this for a second. But, but you need to understand the importance of tying the New Testament in with the Old Testament. You need to understand that importance. We cannot just look at the New Testament. We have to understand its roots in the Old Testament because the Old Testament is the preparation place for the revelation of the New Testament. The Old Testament, the the 39 books from Genesis to Malachi, those books have prepared the people have prepared them, have prepared us for what's coming in the New Testament. And you won't have a full understanding of what the Bible teaches regarding salvation, holiness. You won't have a full understanding 
unless you are versed in the Old Testament and in these prophecies. And so what happens is Peter is standing up to all of these Jewish individuals who read, memorize, adore the Old Testament. And he starts, remember, remember, the New Testament is not written when Peter is preaching. And he starts tying in the truth of Jesus and showing scriptures that were always pointing at Jesus. That means that there were things that were written down because the Holy Ghost had led prophets to write them down about the coming Messiah. Do you understand that, church? Do you understand that? There was, some, there was a man, a prophet named Isaiah, and the Holy Ghost moved on him and said, go ahead and write this down. And Isaiah, I'm not sure if he knew what he was writing down. I'm not sure if he actually understood what was happening. But he was successful in his obedience. And what happened? Years later, hundreds of years later, a man named Peter starts standing up. And then a prophet named Joel, he writes something down. And I'm not sure if the Holy Ghost revealed to him exactly what he was writing down. But he was obedient nonetheless. And he started writing it down. And he said, I'm just going to be obedient. And what happened? Hundreds of years later, a man named Peter stands up and he quotes the prophecies of Joel. And he says, this what you see is that what Joel said. This whatever you're looking at, this is that this is that what the prophet Joel said why am I telling you that because there are things that the Holy Ghost is going to have us do as a church that you're going to say Lord I don't know why you're telling me to do that I don't know why you're telling me to do that but if you are obedient you will not understand the effect it's going to have on your life on your children's lives on your grandchildren on your life group there was a, a preacher, I, I'm running out of time, there was a preacher, he went to a church, and this church was the most dead church, he said, that he had ever been to, that you, you, could, you could literally hear cotton rolling across the carpet, it was just, it was completely quiet, nobody said amen, nobody turned to their neighbor, you didn't get a hallelujah, you didn't get someone in the back saying, love you pastor, nothing like that, there was nothing like that, it was just quiet, dead. And the preacher was like, man, I don't know what to do. He got to, you know, he got some veins popping out right here. He's sweating. He's throwing everything at them. He's yelling at them in their face, spitting on them. Everything he could do, nothing. And somebody in the audience, there, there was a couple in the audience, and this couple was very elegant and very established and significant in their society, and everyone knew that they were very proper. This woman showed up to church with, you know, the, the silk gloves and stuff like that, or leather gloves. I don't, I don't really know, but she, she did come with gloves, and it was very, you know, elegant and everything like that. And so what happened was the husband who had, was of that high mind, he said that something started talking to him, and he said, tap your foot. He said, what? Tap my foot. And he shook it off. And then it came back to him. Just stick your foot out, outside of the pew in the aisle, and just, just tap your foot. And he said, what? No, what are you talking about? And just kind of brushed it off. He said, it came to him one more time. He said, tap your foot. He said, okay, I got to tap my foot. He sticks his foot out, just, you know, all elegantly. You know, and I don't know how, how elegant people do it, but he took his foot out and he said he tapped his foot. The moment he tapped his foot, he went, he went blank. He went unconscious. He came back around about an hour and a half later, if I'm not mistaken. 
And he came out, he woke up about an, an hour, hour and a half later, and everybody was drunk in the Holy Ghost, falling out, pre praying, prophesying, crying, healings, miracles, signs. I, you might look at me and say, that's crazy. You might say that's crazy, but you know what I would say to you? You never read your Bible. That's what I would say. Why? Because God has us do some absolutely insane things sometimes. Oh, Naaman, you have leprosy and an incurable disease. Here's what you're going to do. I want you to go to the dirtiest, filthiest river that you've ever heard of and dunk yourself not six times, not eight times, but seven times. Why seven times? I don't know. Just God told me to tell you, go dunk yourself seven times. Can I do it in a nice pool? No, you got to go to the dirty one. Why the dirty one? I don't know. God said it. Well, guess what? If he didn't do it, he wouldn't have been healed. And he ended up doing it, and he was healed. There was another man, right? The, the, the iron on the axe went into the water and started sinking. He said, I'll borrow the axe. And what happens? And he goes to the prophet. Prophet, help me out. The prophet says, you know what? Why don't you just grab a wooden stick, throw it in the water? What? Yeah, yeah. Get the wooden stick, throw it in the water. The iron is going to float. What? What does that mean? What are you talking about? Another time, the Bible, see, many times, I can go story after story after story where God has permitted people to do things that to us would seem insane, but to him is an opportunity for you to be healed and set free, for you to be absolutely mended and filled with his spirit by the foolishness of preaching. Okay, I'm over time. Acts chapter 2, Peter begins preaching. And Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we know the story, 38, 39, Peter said, to, said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. And 3,000 souls were added that day. And if we jump to verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers, all came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. I'll just stop there and I'll finish here. The Bible teaches us that they followed whose teaching? The apostles' teaching. Whose doctrine? The apostles' doctrine. That's why we call ourselves apostolic. And this is why we call ourselves Pentecostal. Because we share with the apostles that had the experience on the day of Pentecost. So that's why we call ourselves Pentecostal, because we believe that the Pentecostal experience is for absolutely anyone and everyone who seeks it out. Amen. And second, we call ourselves apostolic because we don't follow creeds or traditions. It does not matter to me what the Pope says. It does not matter to me what another pastor says. It does not matter to me what a bishop or what Jimmy Swagger, it does not matter to me what Benny Hinn says. It does not matter what Pope Francis the 14th or whatever number they're on. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now, respectfully, uh, you know, I don't mean to be, um, you know, disrespectful, but the truth of the matter is it does not matter what anybody here says if it violates what the apostles said. They were the eyewitnesses. They were there one-on-one. -on -one. They saw Jesus. They ate with him. They asked him questions. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They were there. They understood. And Jesus showed them and gave them revelation of the Old Testament and showed them why this was the fulfillment. So that is why we call ourselves Pentecostal and Apostolic. 
Turn your name and say, I'm apostolic. Because we follow the apostles' doctrine. That's why we call ourselves apostolic. Amen. And the last thing I'll say is, all came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. What does that mean, signs and wonders? That means that miracles. That means that an overflow of the Holy Ghost would occur in people's lives so much that sickness could not live in the same room as those people. I, I, I don't know if you understand that, really. That even I don't care if it was a headache or a tumor, whether it was a demonic spirit. Many of us believe that casting out demonic spirits, we have to say it to them and they will leave. But the Bible teaches that they took pieces of Paul's garments and pieces of, of handkerchief and they went and when the people would just touch it, the demonic spirits would leave. That's, that's signs, wonders, that is power. And that power belongs to you. That power belongs to me. That power belongs to the church of the living God. Is there anybody here who's ready to claim your birthright as the church? Who's ready to claim your inheritance as the church? Amen. Amen. So thank you so much. Why don't we all stand right now? Amen. Obviously, there's much more that we can touch. There's much more that we can get into. But we need to understand today, if we're going to learn anything from Acts chapter 1 and 2, is that we have been given the Spirit of God for the power of mission, for the power of expanding the kingdom of God, for the power of being fruitful in this. How many want to be fruitful in the kingdom of God today? I know I do. Amen.